Welcome back to the Authentic Artistry podcast after another small break. I've been racing around a bit. I had a concert up in Leeds. I went away on holiday for a few days and so editing and podcast duties fell a little bit by the wayside. This is the podcast in which we explore what it means to find authenticity as a performer, how we find it, how we express it on stage and the questions that it might throw up for yourself in the process. All the things that don't quite fit into a minute and a half video on Instagram. Before we get started today, I just want to remind you that if you are enjoying the podcast and these conversations, you can give us a rating and review on the podcast platform that you are listening to this on. That is super helpful in getting this podcast listened to by more wonderful creatives. Now grab yourself a cup of something and let's get into the podcast. My guest today is a pianist, performer and activist from Amsterdam who poses on stage as a vulnerable storyteller and uses music, words and body, among other things, to tell her stories. Although she is as trained as a classical pianist, she does not shy away from being critical of the classical music tradition and the role of educational institutions in it. She has been researching Black composers in the history of classical music, as well as regularly performing their works. Juam Roivili, welcome to the Authentic Artistry podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> now, I start usually with five quick fire questions, which end up being quite in-depth questions, but I think it's a nice way to start. Firstly, what does authentic artistry mean to you? Authentic artistry to me, uh, to, to me means to unapologetically um, center your own stories and your own aesthetics in, in your performances or in your work and um to also for me it's also it's also about vulnerability and it's it's about showing like incorporating some some form of of, of vulnerability into your performance whether that's visible to the very visible to the audience or not but i think it's a very important element of it so yeah your own stories your own aesthetics um and your own vulnerability yeah i think that's it for me this idea of unapologetically centering your own story, I think, is really powerful and something that hasn't really come up before in that idea of, of authentic artistry. And it's something that now that I hear you say, it, I think, yeah, that is something that is happening when I see people being authentic on stage. It's owning, owning themselves and owning their story. There's so many people in this world and there's so and, and even even if we, we grew up in the same city, in the same family, then still we have different um, experiences in the world. And I think that's that's a very interesting thing. I think and, and I think it's what connects us as people is our stories. Uh, what, like when we see each other after a long time, what do we do? We tell we share stories and uh, it's, it's how we it's how we connect. It's how we share history how we share knowledge um it's how we ask for help <laughs> and i think when we when we speak of like of, of arts and i think often we we go to a concert or to a performance because we we need, we want to be consoled we want to meet people we want to be inspired or something and i think stories is essentially what all that is about what, what stories are the thing that that are are capable of, of, of fulfilling all these functions leading on a, a bit from that the next question what are three qualities or capabilities in other musicians or creatives that inspire you so I really like it when when artists are like like have some degree of 
in Dutch we call it zelfspot. Um, I don't think there's like a like a perfect translation of it. It's like like self mockery or some 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 point. But I think it has to something to do with just not not taking your yourself or your art or just too seriously. As in, of course, having a lot of respect for it, but not seeing it as something that that cannot be laughed about. That must be strictly must be understood and, and must not be questioned too much or something and I, I really love that when 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 there's like when when an artist has that that relationship to their to their art uh, but also to their their personality that just just to not take yourself too seriously and also another quality is is nuance I think I find it really beautiful when when people and especially artists have this skill of telling their their stories of sharing their feelings or telling the stories of others with a lot of nuance and, and within that nuance really make it their own or uh, add a layer onto onto the material that uh, allows it to breathe or that allows it to to be seen in a light that it hasn't been seen in before or maybe if you if you're angry or something um and 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 to be able to to sort of express that with a nuance makes it easier to how do you say that to communicate it and, 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 and easier to manage in a way yeah also that yeah yeah and 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 I think it, it opens it up for more people that even if it's like a, an emotion or something that 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 other people don't relate to that by adding nuance to it like it, it becomes more open to other people and another thing another quality is is love um, and that's something like I've, I've just started reading all about love from bell hooks and I think it's an amazing body of work it's just bell hooks views on on, on love as a, as a practice um, and as a moving force in in life and um, for me I'm like it really inspired me to also approach my practice as a musician as a performer not just as like a, a job but to see it like as like um, in service of love, just like as a person, I want to be a loving person, and that means means caring for other people, showing affection, and then my art is vehicle through which I do that. So that really changed my my outlook on on, on 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 art itself. I really admire it in people, like whether they are whether they're artists or not, when they. Are very good at loving uh, when they when they support others when they are capable of loving unconditionally. Yeah, that's something that I find a very important quality that I admire in other people. <laughs> it really is an admirable quality that we I think we take take it for granted sometimes a little bit. Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do too. And and I I, I think we don't connect art to it enough. Mm. I think we've we've started we've we've been taught in in institutions a lot to to just see art as a sort of a field very much separated from from life or from a person or from like a way of living. Yeah, love is something that made me think of of, of like connecting all these things <laughs> again. Yeah, definitely. Ah, nice. What was the last concert that you went to go and see? Well, I went to uh, recently. I've I've been going to quite a few concerts, but I think I think one that really made an impact was a concert by Axel F- Axel Fagnol. She's a, a French 
uh, opera singer. And she uh, yeah. performed in the Concertgebouw uh, with uh, Julius Drake. And yeah, I loved it. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, I recognize that now. Now I have the face as well in my, in my head. Yeah, nice, brilliant singer. If you could have dinner with any musician, performer or artist throughout history, living or, or dead, um, who would it be and why? Yeah, so, so recently I've tried to not put people and especially artists on pedestals too much in a way of, of just idolizing them to perfection or something and to, to try and, 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 and focus on the people that I have around me. And I would really love to have dinner with my, my paternal grandmother. I've never, I never met her. She died when I was very young, I think, when I was like a baby. A very interesting woman, I think, because it, it's um, so, so, so my, my father, he's a, he's a visual artist and he's like the, the oldest son of the family. But in that time, in the country that he's from, in the Comoro Islands, when, when he grew up, it was like a very unstable environment, um, like which is like decolonization was happening and like... My, my, my grandfather uh, was a chef in a French colonial family and my grandmother worked as a nanny for that same family. So it was like a very strong colonial influence in my family. But she was very much into like decorating and everything and, and into, into music and she sang, she sang lullabies for my, for my father that he then passed on to me. Um, and she very much always supported him in his artistic career. And I find that very interesting that in that context, you give your oldest son, who's like financially the, the, the supposed to be the center of the family, uh, and the most responsible person, you support him in his artistic career. I find that very interesting. And also just with the, with the, the, the story that, I, that I've heard about her, like, like being very much into the arts and being a spiritual person as well, and having a, a lot of knowledge. And also physically, I resemble her. <laughs> Um, that makes me very curious to meet her. Yeah, so I would really love to have dinner with her. That sounds like it would be such an interesting, such an interesting dinner party. The two of you, also so many, so many stories, and yeah, also so beautiful. The lullabies that have been passed down through both generations. That's really special. Definitely. Nice. And the last question. How would you describe your music or work to someone who's never met you before? Oof. Okay, so <laughs> it varies a lot. So I do different things. So sometimes I just do like very, like very traditional concerts, as in I play, you shut up, <laughs> and then I bow and then you clap and then we go home. <laughs> I do that very rarely though, but I do that sometimes. I've just recorded an album with someone and then and now we're we're doing a lot of uh, performances all over the country for the next one and a half year with this program. And that's like very straightforward formats. But um, sometimes I do other things. And then I, I talk on stage. I, I talk about well, stories about, about, about things that I experienced, like my outlook on life. And then I play some music that fits that story. So that can be me talking about glitter and how I see glitter as the only truly universal thing in life. Because I think universe, if you've ever seen pictures of it, is glitter. And I think that's a very powerful thing. So 
because glitter is also a thing that if you if you project a beam of light onto it, it shatters into a million a million small particles and makes a very boring looking wall all of a sudden very interesting and i think that's a very beautiful form of resistance simply by being that you you're able to shatter things and also like if you have like one tiny bit of glitter in your eye if you're in your eye or in your forehead somewhere you're not going to get rid of it um and i i, I kind of love that that like it, it gives me hope <laughs> it gives me hope that even it can always be seen even in the smallest amount it can always and be you can seen. always be a pain in the ass yeah that's amazing on your own together with others I think that's beautiful so I, I I incorporate glitter a lot in my performances I also like doing my hair I tell stories with my hair as well I play classical music but also sometimes like lullabies that I was taught by my dad for one of my latest performances I played a dominatrix and I was in a latex suit so yeah <laughs> um, I want to hear more about that <laughs> yeah you want to know how did that work yeah yeah please I'm fascinated <laughs> no, so um so so what I do is I I, I I I'm trained as a classical pianist but I actually also um I'm also very interested in doing research. So I got a research grant uh, for a proposal that, I, that I'd written. So then I spent four months researching the ways in which uh, the Colonial World Fair of 1883 in Amsterdam impacts the current way of, of programming and uh, framing black um, performers and performers, performers of color um at the at cultural institutions at the museum plan today so the museum square in amsterdam so that so that colonial world fair in 1883 uh was at the museum square and then at that same time the concertgebouw and the rijksmuseum and stedelijk museum were being built and those are institutions that are st still here today and that those are institutions that currently like want to do a lot with inclusion and diversity etc but they're actually built on on a ground that uh, was used to exhibit, like physically exhibit black people and people of color from the Dutch colonies. And nobody talks about that. <laughs> so, so what I decided to do was, was so I, I, did, I did a lot of research on that. But uh, what I decided to do was, was to, to make performance. And I opened that um, as a dominatrix, because a dominatrix is a figure that is seen as, is perceived as very, is very threatening and very strong and very dangerous scary and, and a person that like inflicts pain but actually in real life the the dominatrix is someone who negotiates with the person that that uh, that receive is on the receiving end of the pain so that that person that is receiving the pain actually sets the limits and then the the, the dominatrix is actually in service of that person so is she actually really a threat not really, actually. It's it's actually she she's she's giving someone joy. She's actually giving someone exactly what they want, and that's actually how I see uh, those those cultural institutions today that say that there are so much about inclusion and diversity, and then they hire uh, activists or very outspoken artists to be critical, to say critical things, to say painful things about the, those institutions themselves or about the arts or anything 
and then they those those artists are, are are framed as being dangerous and being being scary and 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 taking risks and everything and, and then and then actually that's extended to the institutions that that book them so then then we say oh my god it's so amazing that this institution invited this artist and that they that they were willing to take this risk by inviting this person so then actually <laughs> it's actually in service of this institution to invite that critical person this critical voice so that's why i decided to play a dominatrix and use a lot of quotes of, of, of things that were actually person said to me personally by people from those institutions at the museum square so in the concertgebouw rijksmuseum stedelijk museum or things that are found in their policies uh, and then sort of play with it and I really incorporated in my sort of sexy scary performance as dominatrix and to actually show how bogus <laughs> their policies and their their statements on inclusion and diversity were. <laughs> what an interesting way of of inverting the kind of structure of of how these things work. Yeah but it's, it's really funny though because like I really love how like that so I'd like for my different performances I have like different audiences <laughs> and sometimes like usually there's like one or two people that did not get the memo that that, that this was going to be like a different kind of thing so then <laughs> so then there's like this in this case there was like um like a, my mom had, had told a friend that I was performing like a friend of hers and then that friend had invited her 90 90 year old mother and they were sitting on the front Thinking, row oh oh what a nice classical piano concert we're gonna go and see exactly <laughs> so then these things tend to go wrong sometimes but i kind of love that as well so yeah <laughs> what kind of music did you play to to highlight this to kind of be coherent with with how you were how you addressed? So I play at first. I played um, some music from Debussy because Debussy is a composer who was uh, very heavily influenced by minstrelsy, and uh, but he also visited several colonial world fairs and then wrote music based on the music that he heard on those fairs, uh, and then he's credited with being an amazing, inventive composer. But we never hear of the the people that were actually like. Um, trafficked there and were made to play there involuntarily. So I played one of his pieces and then I sort of like cut it off and then appeared as this dominatrix <laughs> and then and then said some things, did a, did a monologue while crawling over the floor, like a monologue that sort of exploded into like sort of this furious, angry person saying like, saying something like, um, sometimes I don't want inclusion and diversity, sometimes I don't want uh, reparations, sometimes I just want revenge, and just, and just like started like whipping, <laughs> whipping chairs. Um, and then after that, I played Kumbaya, my lord, because this is like, of course, like, well, Kumbaya is just Kumbaya, because of course we have to be, um, quote unquote, constructive <laughs> uh, so I decided to play that song and then I did sort of a lecture about my my performance or my uh, sorry my research uh, my research process and then I played a piece uh, written by Robert Nathaniel Detz called His Song um, and Robert Nathaniel Detz is, a, is an amazing composer was an amazing composer he um, lived in the late 
19th, early 20th century uh, in the United States, was a black composer, wrote some amazing music. So then I played, I played that, and then later, later on, it was a double bill, and then in the second performance, I, I played, uh, I think, a toccata by, by Johann Sebastian Bach, and I played a lullaby from my grandmother. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Very integrative, like with the research presentation, also acting, monologue, also playing the, the piano, cross-art interdisciplinary. interdisciplinary. Yeah. way of presenting your work yeah so first I figure out a story or what I, or the feelings or things that I want to convey and after that I'm like okay what am I going to use so is it going to be music is it going to be words is it going to be hair is it what is it going to be I wanted to ask you about how hairstyle and fashion are important for you for self-expression within performance um, I think it's really important. I think, um, like, like I come from a from a background of classical music, and in classical music we have this um, illusion of neutrality. That if we if we dress in 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 all black, we are neutral and we serve. We are we're completely serving the the composer whose work we're playing. And that if we adhere to gender norms, then we are neutral. Or actually, we're not even told that we are neutral then. We're actually told, like, as, but the thing is that as soon as we divert from this nor from these norms and from these un uh, unwritten uh, rules, then you're taught you're a distraction. So when I, like, I, I remember the first time playing with uh, braids in my hair that were, that had a color to them. And that was uh, the 1st of July in 2021. Was just after graduating. It was the first time I ever actually had the courage to play with raising my hair that had like color. Um, because during my time at the conservatorium, I was told that that was a distraction. But also in 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 the clothes that I wear, like I I always felt very pressured to to wear e evening gowns <laughs> but that actually like that didn't really make me feel strong or that didn't make me feel empowered or inspired but I did it because I thought otherwise it would distract the audience but then sort of like I think like in the last period of my my my, my bachelor at the conservatorium and just the, the first months after that I just decided to to center myself my my own well-being and my own needs what do I need to feel to feel concentrated to feel strong to feel excited to go on stage and then for me that that also translates into fashion like if I'm in 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 in, in clothes that I do not feel comfortable in how on earth am I going to give the best performance that I can but I also think that like, like lately I've also been been um, experimenting with the ways in which my like the the things that I wear the, 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 and the the way that I that I wear my hair can actually be an extension of the story that I'm uh, telling on stage so for example in this this dominatrix thing I not only wore a latex suit, but I also had um, an eight meter long braid with a whip at the end. And like, I thought it was really interesting to notice what that did to me because it made, it actually 
I really physically embodied the story that I was telling. Uh, it deepens the aesthetic. Exactly. Um, or just a few weeks ago, I was in, in Bruges uh, and I was delivering the State of the, of the Youth, uh, the State of the Union, and like an event uh, on classical music, giving my view on, 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 the, on classical music today. And I wore like a pink suit and my hair was like braided into a halo with like beads in it and like it was a, a, a like the, the hairstyle was inspired by a thing that I'd seen on the on a on a runway in the Paris Fashion Week this year and I thought it was super inspiring and I thought it kind of looks like a sun and then that that idea of the sun was also part of the story that I told and so that sort of like really not only did it look beautiful but it also really reminded me of the story that I was telling you become like you physically also become part of of what you're saying so not only yeah. through the words but also through appearance and aesthetic yeah and really the, cool yeah and another another element is also that it reminds me that we are always able to transform to 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 surprise ourselves so like just changing your hair changing the way you dress reminds me of versatility and also so that and that also translates to the execution of the music that I play that like it's also it's always possible to do to do it a different way so yeah I, I think it's super important fashion and, and hair yeah I had someone on here a couple of weeks ago and he's a saxophonist and he was also mentioning about how what we wear whether we want it to impact the audience or not, it impacts the audience. So if you're wearing black, it still impacts the audience. Yeah. So it's always going to impact the audience. So why not wear something that enhances you as, as a performer and allows you to self-express? Not exactly. And, and exactly like nothing is neutral. Nothing you do on stage is neutral, whether you show up or don't show up. <laughs> That's like even, even, the, even the act of showing up is a thing like even before you've, you've done anything at your instrument just the way that you walk on stage the, the things that you're wearing the speed in which you are like everything communicates something whether you want it or not so you might as well use it you mentioned a bit about um your experiences from from conservatoire it's the topic that i i also question myself a lot how are institutions impacting our individuality and self-expression and creativity what were your experiences how did it impact you and how did you sort of because you describe your concerts now and it's it's not the traditional classical piano concert so how did you manage to break out of of that that mold yeah so so I did not thrive at the conservatoire <laughs> I absolutely did not. Um, I think the best grade I ever got for playing piano at the conservatoire was like a seven and a half out of ten. I, I felt like I was I was handed a lot of tools that were not meant for me, and that a lot of the the needs that I had uh, or questions that I had were not being addressed. Um, so, like when when it relates to to also also being a queer black person in the classical music world like that adds another layer to it 
like that impacts the way that you negotiate that it impacts the, the 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 type of work that you take on and that you don't take on it impacts the way that you <laughs> wear your hair or not like it impacts a lot of things and or actually you know and, and of course it impacts like the amount of space that you get whether you even get space in the first place yeah conservatoire was for me was not amazing time but then COVID hit um that was in 2020 then I was in my I was and rounding up my first uh, sorry running up my my fourth year at the conservatoire and I decided to add an extra year and um actually for me that was definitely what saved me uh because I did because the schools were closed and I did not have any lessons and I did not have any concerts um and I did not have any work <laughs> I just had a lot of time to think and also in 2020 of course like with the whole with the Black Lives Matter movement like really coming up I didn't play piano for for at least a month I just didn't touch it uh because I just felt like what the hell like in this time what am I doing playing scales studying Mozart like if I look back when I'm 60 to like when, when, when I'm 60 and I look back on this time am I really am I going to regret um <laughs> like not not playing piano or am I going to regret not being out on the streets and consoling people that are in pain or reaching out to loved ones that are lonely so then I decided that my priorities were there and also decided that that I did not want to continue my studies at the conservatoire if, if things did not change so I, I I found some other students at the conservatoire and in, in the, in the art school of artes in other cities as well uh people that were that were like from like a BIPOC community but also queer people but also and, and trans people and and disabled people just everyone who who encountered forms of discrimination and we decided to to be there for each other to um, speak up on behalf of each other and to hold teachers accountable for their behavior as well and even though we did not uh, manage to achieve like a sort of big structural change or something at least we supported one another and got each other through art school <laughs> we all graduated but also we encourage each other, each other to, to go to specific performances, to go see certain exhibitions, to go there together. And we really built community and, our, and, and, and found mentors for each other. So that's really what got me through it. And, also, and, and it also really st strengthened my belief in, in, my belief in, 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 in centering your own aesthetic and, and that your own stories are valuable and, and that everything you've ever experienced can be part of your art that's definitely what 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 saved me and also gave me confidence to to go try things even the ideas that because like a lot of the ideas that I'm actually executing right now I also shared at the conservatorium with with my teachers and then they just said like but nobody's interested in in this like nobody wants to see this and finding this community really made me believe that actually those ideas were might actually be be valuable and uh, that I could just ask for help from other people and that there were people that were interested in seeing this and that people were, were willing to to invest time and money and energy to go come see my my shows and so that that really kick-started like a new phase in my career <laughs> yeah I, I find it crazy to think 
that someone would say nobody is interested in this and where they get that idea from because when I started seeing like what what you're doing now on on Instagram I was like that's really cool like that's amazing I wish that I had seen more of that going on when I was in my in my bachelor I mean I knew you from from my Erasmus year that was that was when I met you and and those ideas that were not happening then that are happening now and I think where are they getting this nobody wants to see it but they're in a way thinking that's not interesting for me so it's not interesting for anybody but they are not everybody and it comes back to me this idea of I heard it recently I don't I think it was on on another podcast a bit what you mentioned about centering your own story and like you are the center of your own story but you're not the center of everyone's story so that that's this kind of dichotomy I guess when someone says no one's interested in in what you want to do that's thinking that their story is the same for everybody else but actually there are so many people who and it's clear now because you have concerts many people coming to your concerts funding and it's like actually look this is this is worth sharing and there are many people who want to know more about this yeah, no, definitely. And I think I think it has to do with the way that, that the classical music world is set up, that like you're only a true classical musician if you've done if you've gone through the conservatoire. Um, so then by that, and then and then if this conservatoire is like a super toxic environment, then like it's a really horrible filter of like who's going to be considered to be a real classical musician and then like who who's allowed to later later on teach at the conservatoire people that have gone through the conservatoire and that have thrived in the world of classical music which is also really really toxic and really exclusive so then like that's like this, this perpetual cycle of, of harm <laughs> that that classical music is built on um and then if you imagine that going on for centuries then it helps you to understand why the world is the way that it is so for me, it really helps to step out of that classical music realm uh, and connect with 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 artists and people from from other industries, people outside of the arts, adult like in general, to to talk to hairdressers and incorporate hairdressers into a performance at the opera, like I did a few years ago. Like just an yeah, just to give an example, like that's that that's really refreshing for yourself like I'm not even talking about the like is, is it refresh, refreshing for the for the audience but just for yourself it's already so important to do that yeah and makes it more universal and holistic kind of holistic in a way of a whole concept of all of these things that are creating a performance yeah so you mentioned about Black Lives Matter and creating this this community for yourself that helped with starting to to get some of these ideas up and running what what was then the process to producing that work into the into the concerts so what was happening in 2020 was that there was a lot of institutions that had a lot of white guilt <laughs> and they were desperately looking for, for black people in classical music so that they would not look racist. So that was very much the dynamic that was going on. And as tragic as that is, I decided that this would very much 
be the only opportunity that I would have in this time <laughs> to actually get the benefit of the doubt and, and get money and funding to do projects. So in a very shitty way benefited from that. But and but also before it also before Black Lives Matter, I'd already been noticed by several institutions, but they just didn't want to take the risk of of programming me outside of the the format of like a a young student or something. I decided to 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 actually like really take it on big. And then when I was uh, asked by the Dutch National Opera to to moderate a panel discussion about inclusion and diversity in the in the Black Achiever Month of 2020, uh, I was like, well, actually, um, no. I don't want to do a, a panel discussion because that's you deciding how much time I will get and when this should happen, when I should get time. And and throughout, like for, for ages, <laughs> white institutions have, have had that power. And, and, and when it comes to Black people, everything has to have, has had to happen on the terms and conditions of mm. rich white people. So I was like, well, let's break that. So what I want to do is I want to braid hair for five hours <laughs> um so that was my performance um reclaiming our time based on a on a text uh that uh or like a, a thing that that congresswoman maxine waters in the, in the um, american parliament said when she was uh, repeatedly interrupted by a white man called uh, steve nuchin and she kept saying, Mr. Speaker, and reclaiming my time and reclaiming my time. And then I was thinking, like, that's actually something that Black women have been doing throughout centuries, reclaiming, like, like losing time through slavery, colonialism, having to explain yourself and your ideas, um, having to work harder for less money. So I want to reclaim that time. So I want to reclaim that time right now when I'm offered only like one hour to moderate a panel discussion. I'm going to take five hours to braid hair. And also the act of braiding hair was for me very re revolutionary because when I was, when the, the first time I went to the opera, when I was 15 years old, I was actually asked to leave the opera hall by another person in the audience because he thought that my Afro was dist like distracting or shocking or something. So for me to, to then say, like, I'm going to take five hours and braid hair felt very healing and right. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm doing it at the at the opera, at the Dutch yeah, Opera as well. Yeah, exactly. So so I gathered a lot of black creatives that I knew. Uh, so there was like opera singers from uh, like from, from, from the Netherlands and abroad, spoken word performers, but also hair braiders. Uh, and a gospel choir and an actor like and just like all kinds of performers and uh, I was like okay we have five hours what do you want to do <laughs> how do you want to tell stories what kind of stories do you want to tell and um, all of the performers started with unbraided hair and then we were being like every like we were being braided during the whole thing and then so then and then sometimes each of us would like step out and like perform with half braided hair um and then at the end of the of the, of the evening at like 10 10 30 in the evening because we actually <laughs> ran late um we all had braided hair and it was amazing and a lot of people stayed for the whole thing but that but that was like a, like my first time 
like leading a big production like that because it was like 50 people involved or something uh and like like when i pitched the idea i was like this is never actually going to happen then it was actually happening i was like shit and i have to make this happen in six weeks now always go big always go big <laughs> and i had to do like present like hosting I was, I was like playing solo pieces i was i was accompanying singers i also did the production <laughs> like it was crazy but we did it what and an amazing it also way more impactful than than a panel discussion and yes, of course. Yes. way more joyful and way more engaging and and thought provoking than than a kind of panel discussion which is a bit dry yes of course of course and the panel discussion is like a sort of a weird performance in a way as well like a very bad performance no but that like that was for me like the big first time that I made, made like a big production like that and in in the course of making this like I had to ask for a lot of help from other black creators that had like worked with the Dutch National Opera because I was very I wanted to be very aware of like the dynamics of like being very physical as black as black bodies in this space like how 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 do we make this a pleasant experience for the performers um how do we turn this place like like even visually into like a pleasing safe space <laughs> because there's like all this marble and velvet and everything like it's horrible it's super cold and it echoes and everything so then we decided to like get like drapes and and couches and and uh sheds long and everything but through that i also met a lot of mentors um and people that wanted to help me and take like next steps in my career um and um so that was I, I learned a lot through that and in the, in the months after that I've really invested a lot of time in finding mentors and and people that um really inspired me that that had knowledge uh in, in fields that I wanted to know more about <laughs> And I cooperated a lot with uh, performers from other art disciplines that I found very interesting. And I just said yes to everything. <laughs> so that then I ended up with a lot of things, a lot of mediocre performances, because like a lot of, <laughs> a lot of things I, I did and do are quite bad. <laughs> and then sometimes there's- Bad in what sense? As in like, as in like I completely lose uh like like I, I just forget what the hell I'm doing on stage or like I just like 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 I, I I've had that a lot uh it keeps getting better <laughs> though <laughs> yeah but that that has happened a lot but I'm very happy that I that I just uh saw the importance of just playing and being on stage so much and that I just took on all those opportunities because uh, right now, like I'm in a position where I'm more visible and I have more work. With that increased level of visibility, also comes um, more of a fear of like being seen as bad, <laughs> like as a like a bad pianist or something. But I think like having more experience on 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 stage also gave me like a, a like a level of self confidence that I didn't have before. And, and like really a sense of like my worth and my strengths as a as a performer um so that even if like performance absolutely doesn't go as planned uh that I can still see beautiful things in it yeah and it doesn't doesn't crush my soul for months <laughs> what is it about those things that help you to to be able to move on if if you feel that it hasn't gone well 
Um, so for me, it, it really helps to go see a lot of performances outside of classical music and not to listen to classical music too much because it, it teaches me about different uh, aesthetics um, and, and different elements of, of being that can be beautiful. So for example, if it's like ballroom culture, like that's like a, an underground queer scene, there's like a, a very little overlap between classical music or, the, or like the people that play classical music and people that are in a ballroom scene. But just seeing like people that like fully express themselves and that are like, that, that, that are about community um, and that are willing to, to experiment that's something that I found really find really beautiful, but also I don't know, like theater or something can also just like the ways that you can use your voice, your body, like stuff like that. Like like there's all so many different ways of being present. There's so many forms of beauty in those those ways of being. When you constantly expose yourself to those different forms of beauty, uh, it also allows you to see more forms of beauty in yourself. This is so actually what creates nuance. Now I think link it back to what you yeah. mentioned before. It's, it's what creates nuance. Yeah, yeah. So that even when your when your performance goes like shit, <laughs> or you feel like your performance was like shit, and you're like you didn't play any right notes, or you like you like lost track of what you were actually saying, you can still see like, well, okay, there was like a concept that was good. Or you can say, okay, well, but but I I really like the way that I set up my audience for this, or the way that I wore my hair, or uh, or maybe just to shave that first note that I played or something, even though it was the wrong note. But <laughs> you know, and that can also happen more when when you're taking care of more elements of the performance rather than my soul being and my sole reason for being on stage is just to play piano and be in service of the composer it's way more easy to be like black and white about yes or no did I do well rather than okay what is my concept how do I want to look what shoes do I want to wear how do I want to wear my hair what accessories do I want to wear how do I want the audience to be what do I what stories do I want to tell what um, music do I want to play and what is it saying? Then you have way more different criteria of, did I like that? Yes or no? Did I like yeah. that? Yes or no? no? And exactly. And also just um, incorporating more, acknowledging more, more forms of, 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 of beauty and more forms of storytelling into your performance also allows you to make the, the like, allows you to enjoy the preparation for a concert way more. So before, whereas before it was like, okay, put on evening gown, put on the makeup and play. Now it's more of like, okay, like come up with a concept, talk to people about the concept. Oh, hey, this is how you look, this is your outlook on this concept. Okay, this is interesting. And then, okay, this is what I, I would love to wear this. Actually, I decided I'm going, I, I'm going to make this myself. I'm going to, to go to the market and get the fabrics. I'm talking to the person. <laughs> I don't know, but like there's like this, like the way that I do my performances right now, I, I I take more more time for the preparation in this, and that makes me care more so much more, more deeply uh, for the hair, for the for the for the clothes, for the instruments, for the the location, for the audience. That even if the performance itself or the notes that I play aren't perfect, aren't perfect, that I still get a lot of 
valuable experience out of the whole thing out of the whole process mm-hmm. it's, cre- it's creativity at every, every level like exacerbating the creativity that there can be in every part of the preparation finally what would you say to someone who is searching for their own authentic artistry I would say just just think back into your like think back in your life how have you how did you uh, get in touch with the, the the form of art that you make so um and, and why did you like it what would spark this interest in you um so that's like one thing because sometimes like going back to that moment can already find like can already be very fulfilling and empowering but also think back like like to your childhood like how have you um learned how have you listened to stories um who told you stories like whose stories did you like most and yeah how were those stories told to you so like for me for example it was um like I grew up with my mom and my stepfather and my stepfather had, had like a lot of friends of his that always had these amazing stories like like they were like they, they were sailors or they, they like traveled all over the world or they like stolen cars I don't know <laughs> like stuff like that but like just hearing stories like like hearing stories told at the dinner table for example for me is a very core childhood memory so and, and so going back to that like actually stories being told with words that encouraged me to um, actually use words as well in my performances in my classical music performances to see to to actually know that 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 is a very valuable way of of telling stories and I think there's so many of those experiences in in everyone's lives um, and that are so different for everybody that it's very interesting to go look into that like do a deep dive into your yourself see what you can find memories but also negative ones and how you deal with that when you when do you feel consoled uh how do you take care of yourself and can you share that with others Dua, it's been joyful to talk with you today thank you so much for for coming on on here and giving me this time thank you That was such a wonderful conversation. I love seeing what Jua has been doing since graduating and the work that she's presenting. It's such a valuable and original way of presenting her ideas, views and artistry and a wonderful example of the combination of research and performance. You can find her on Instagram at Jua Rosa if you want to check out more about her and I'll put some links in the comments so you can find her easily. She's also performing at the Overhead Eye Festival in Amsterdam from the 14th to the 22nd of July so if you find yourself around that area do grab tickets to go and see her performing that's it for today join us next friday for the following installment of the authentic artistry podcast bye